is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me is Keith Black Trudeau. Today, we got another big, big, big redraft coming up. It's the 1986 NBA draft. Tons of stories, lots of storylines. Stories and storylines are the same thing, I guess. All of that. We're going to be talking about Len Bias, Dennis Rodman, all sorts of things today. Really excited to get into this one. But uh, first... I think that it, since we are a history in basketball podcast, I think that it it would be, uh, we would be remiss if we did not bring up the passing of Celtics great Bill Russell, um, one of the greatest players of all time, no doubt about it, ahead of his time probably. Um, Keith, I think that since this is a draft show, it would be uh, best if we talked about how bill russell got to the celtics because it's not an ordinary story no it is it, it is very much a uh a, a product of its time uh, uh bill russell and let's get this out of the way bill russell was by far he's one of the most dominant college basketball players of all time uh his, his junior and senior season at uh san francisco university that basketball powerhouse uh they lost one game in two years uh they won the NCAA championship both of those years. And I think only one of their tournament games was even close. Uh, he was by far the best prospect going into the 1956 draft. Uh, only problem with the, uh, everyone, everybody knows that he went to the Celtics, but the, the first pick actually uh, belonged to the Rochester Royals. And if you look at the 1956 draft, you assume that Bill Russell goes first. He doesn't. Uh, a guy, a guard named uh, Sir Hugo Green goes first. And you wonder why that is. Uh, generally, um, so Les Harrison, who owned the uh, Rochester Royals at the time, uh, he, like many uh, NBA owners, was struggling to stay afloat, even though the Royals were a very good team. Uh, they already had their uh, franchise big man in Maurice Stokes that they were paying some money to. And the rumor was that uh, Bill Russell was going to want, I, I want to say it was $25,000 uh, just as a signing bonus. Cause this is the way that the draft was even all the way through the late nineties was there was no rookie uh, salary scale. Basically if a team drafted you, you could negotiate for whatever you wanted or simply not show up. So the Royals more than likely, even though it was obvious to anybody with two eyes that Bill Russell was the best player in the draft, the, the Royals who are the Sacramento Kings uh, today, things haven't changed. Uh, some things haven't changed a whole lot. Uh, they, they passed on Bill Russell to draft to Hugo Green uh, with the first pick. And so that leaves the second pick, which again, did not belong to the Celtics that belonged to the St. Louis Hawks. Now, we had something called the territorial uh, draft back then, where if there was a prospect that had strong ties to your, uh, to your, to the city that you played in, uh, you could forfeit your first round pick and just claim that player uh, without anybody having a chance to draft him. And that's what the Celtics did in 1956. They took Tommy Heinsohn, who was local out of uh, Holy Cross. Uh, and so the Celtics didn't even have a first-round pick. Not that it would have mattered. They were one of the best teams in the in the NBA the year before, so that they, they would have had a low pick. So how the – and this is kind of the dirty secret that everybody knows today is that the, the NBA, while they did integrate in the 1950s, uh, they had a very – like a, an unwritten rule of you can only – I'll put it this way. Teams were apprehensive about having too many black players in their team because, and, and St. Louis was the worst of the worst. Uh, they were the very last team to, and to integrate because 
they feared very much that they would lose uh, attendance if, if they allowed a black player to put to play in their uniform, as, as ridiculous and as horrible as that sounds today. So uh, Red Auerbach, who ran the Celtics uh, back in the back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the legendary coach also ran their team as a GM at the time. Uh, he knew that. And he offered up uh, Ed McCauley, who was their uh, all-star center, uh, more of a finesse guy, uh, but still a very good player, all-star every single year uh, with the Celtics. And the draft rights to a guy named Cliff Hagen, who they had drafted years before, uh, but was unable to play in the NBA due to uh, army commitment because, you know, the Korean War was going on. And not only were those two you know, very talented players, but they were also white players. And that was essentially uh, what got St. Louis because the, the Hawks wanted <laughs> that even the, the Hawks management wanted Bill Russell, but they were ownership was scared to death of, again, having a black player in their team. So this gave the Hawks an out. Uh, this allowed the Hawks to say, yeah, we, we, we had nothing to race had nothing to do with it. You know, we traded the, the number two pick got a got a couple of all-star caliber players back and they did and those two actually played very well for for the st louis hawks they won their only championship just two years after the fact uh but in bill russell the celtics got a just a one-man dynasty now there were a lot of great players around him at the time but i'm i'm just going to summarize uh bill russell with this uh he was maybe 70 years before his time. Some guys 20, 30, but Bill Russell was 70 years before because Bill Russell understood without having uh, to see data charts or shot charts, he he knew instinctively what led to wins and losses in basketball games. Uh, he he knew that making your teammates better was, was the biggest part of the five-man game. He, Bill Russell was a master of that. Even though he didn't score the most points, uh, he understood the philosophy of playing defense, getting your teammates involved, controlling uh, the offensive glass and defensive glass, the intimidation, all of that. He was all of that rolled into one. Uh, he, analytics would have absolutely loved him uh, even today. And, you know, the rest is history. This, the Celtics won 11 championships in his 13 seasons there. Uh, he's still the winningest player in the history of team sports. And uh, just even taking aside, taking out his uh, his amazing basketball career, man, what what a, what a life uh, he lived as a civil rights leader, and even as a coach, he's he's not just in the Hall of Fame as a player. He was also inducted as a coach uh, a short while ago. So, uh, just a, a a short tribute to uh, Bill Russell here, um, a human being and a career that we will probably never. See see again uh in our lifetimes uh as uh people who follow the nba yeah it's you know it's it's uh it's a tough loss for the league because he was such an important person you know um even to this day i mean there was he's he was the guy that you could go to he was the guy that that you could get advice from and uh and you see a lot of players do that and you know Shaq and a lot of guys uh even ben wallace um, could look at him as, as something of a mentor. So yeah, it's a very tough loss, and uh, you know, I just hope that everything is uh, uh, is good with his family. I mean, I hope his family are able to grieve and and you know are able to look back at uh, at such a great legacy that he left, and I, I think that they're probably proud of that. So, um, yeah. So so yeah. It, it, moving on, and I and it's hard to segue from that. <laughs> Uh, but moving on to the 1986 NBA draft. Now there's a, there's a lot of, there's some housekeeping to do here first. So before we, before we get into it, um, Arvita Sabonis is, is in this draft. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, Hey, I listened to the 1985 NBA draft uh, that you can show that you guys did. And he was in that one. How could he be in this one too? Well, Keith, could you explain that to everyone? So this is honestly on me for neglecting to mention it uh, in our last redraft, but uh, obviously uh, Arvidas in, was a uh, international prospect uh, from Lithuania, which 
at that time was still under the thumb of the Soviet Union. And how it generally worked and, and kind of still works as the time is you, you could draft somebody and it, you could draft an international player back then. Uh, but if you didn't sign him, you know, within that calendar year, he went right back into the draft until uh, the until his 22nd birthday. So that's kind of what, what happened with uh, Arvius Sabonis. He was drafted with a late round pick by the Hawks. Uh, but obviously the Hawks couldn't sign him because you couldn't sign Soviet players in the 1980s. It was impossible. Uh, so the Blazers, and this was Arvidas' last draft eligible uh, year, uh, he had grown so much as a and as an international prospect. The Blazers used a late first-round pick uh, to draft him with the full knowledge that they had no way of getting him unless the Soviet Union... Uh, either drastically changed their entire uh, policy uh, with athletes in the United States, or they simply just dissolved and no longer existed. I mean, that is a hell of a gamble in 1986. Uh, but he was so good uh, th that it was still worth a first-round pick just on the off chance that that happened. And in 1980, 1995, uh, he was actually able to come over. Uh, but yeah, that was that. that's why we are going to draft uh Arvidas Sabonis for a, a second straight time I'm excited I, I, hopefully he'll be in the 87 draft somehow too I just love <laughs> Arvidas Sabonis yeah you uh, cannot talk about you know we I don't think either of us can talk about Arvidas Sabonis enough just just a one-of-a-kind player awesome right ahead of his time another guy who was ahead <laughs> of his time um so then the second thing is obviously, you know, the big thing that it, most people remember this draft for, uh, Len Bias. So Len Bias was uh, a star for the Maryland uh, basketball team and was considered to be um, the next thing. Like there was Michael Jordan, who wasn't quite Michael Jordan yet, but this guy was going to be better than Michael Jordan. Like this guy was going to be the biggest star in the league. He gets uh, selected by the Celtics with the second overall pick. And he goes up on stage. He shakes uh, David Stern's hand. He does the post, you know, draft interviews. He does all that stuff. He heads back to Maryland. He goes to a party at a dorm room. And he uh, tries cocaine um, for the first time, presumably. And he immediately dies. Uh, there was some sort of um uh, reaction that basically shut off the electricity that controls your heart and he he died almost instantly um or died at the hospital rather um he you know it's it's a horrible situation with really big implications that kind of led to the war on drugs in america and uh just a lot of uh things going with that um Keith, you know, I, I, I don't. You probably know more about Len Bias than I than I do. Um, is was the hype real? I mean, was he the next Jordan? Uh, it's really impossible to say. Uh, he was obviously one of the top college prospects uh, at the time. Uh, I I never got a, a sense that he was ever considered for the number one pick. I think that was always going to be Brad Doherty. Uh, out of North Carolina, but he was it, it. I think it was kind of seen seen as a two player draft that Doherty would go number one to whoever got that pick, and Len Bias would go number two. And maybe there was a little bit of you know Doherty was a center and he was a seven footer, and maybe that's what gave him the ultimate uh, edge in everybody's mind. But yeah, Doherty, explosive, uh, explosive forward. Uh, if you ever see highlights of him, I mean, he was. So he would be super athletic even for today. Uh, you know, what could have been with his career, but I, I honestly think it's unfair to everybody that played in the NBA and to actually, I think it's unfair to Len Bias to try to place him after the fact in the NBA and say, well, he was the next Jordan or he was this, or maybe he wasn't that guy. Maybe he would have been just a, just pretty good in the eighties. I, I have no way of knowing that. And I think it's kind of insensitive to his situation to really uh, makes uh, proclamations about that uh, because we didn't really know, really know at the time. Um, 
but really cocaine casts a huge shadow over this entire draft. Uh, really, it had been building up in the NBA since the late 70s, where it had it had derailed many uh, careers, uh, some very, very promising careers, uh, like uh, David uh, David Skywalker Thompson or Walter Davis, where maybe they didn't get banned outright, or maybe they lost a year or two from the league for, for not being able to stay off of uh, drugs, but you know, when they came back, they were severely diminished because they had kind of lost their focus or their lot or their, their physical well-being, And they just weren't that same guy after the fact, uh, the, the huge shadow it casts over the, over this specific draft, uh, you had, you know, four, it wasn't just Len bias, just four of the top seven picks in this draft, uh, Roy Tarbley, Chris Washburn, uh, William Bedford, all, all guys that essentially lost their careers, uh, to cocaine, and this was kind of the flashpoint, even taking away the larger uh, aspects of, you know, the war on drugs in society in general, just the the league essentially, and I think a lot of prospects at the time, uh, they they took uh, Len Bias's death uh, very, very seriously. I mean, I'm not going to say that cocaine vanished from the league after this. That's not true. But you can clearly see a line but before and after 1986 where the drug-related uh, incidents and suspensions and careers getting flushed down the tubes, uh, they were a lot less after 86 than before. Yeah, it's um, it was quite a problem. And and I think there's a good podcast out there that really – now listen to our podcast first, obviously. Don't uh, don't don't stop this one and go to the, the one I'm going to recommend. But uh, Adam McKay, who directed uh, – Winning Time and and uh, Anchorman and a bunch of different movies did a great podcast called Death at the Wing um, that really kind of goes through that whole time period, 80s, uh, with players dealing with cocaine and um, kind of how it impacted the league and not just also the league, but kind of the the the, the nation as well. And and just kind of that whole time with the war on drugs and, and it, all of this, co- you know, coalesced together. So it's it's an interesting uh, listen. I definitely recommend it. It's short, short form. So it's only like six episodes long, but uh, definitely recommend that. So uh, we will not be uh, having Len in this, in this mock draft, uh, you know, for the same reasons that it's insensitive to, to try to compare him to players that played in the league and, you know, and, and that um, we're just, we're, we just decided that it would be best if we did not, include him in this mock draft so um keep that in mind as we go forward uh which is what we're going to do right now it is time for the 1986 nba redraft i am going first this week and here's the thing cleveland cavaliers are on the board and i've been thinking about this since last week i, I and 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 i've been sitting here i'm in the war room i'm talking with my scouts they're saying Brad Doherty. They're pounding the table for Brad Doherty. And and I'm saying, yeah, you know, that, that center, he's really good. You know, but I, I an old man with an almanac came to me and he said, Brad Doherty's going to have a great career, but it's only going to be eight years long. You could get Brad Doherty or you could go get yourself somebody uh, who is going to change the game, who's going to be generational, who's going to be one of the top 75 NBA players of all time. And, and I got really excited about that when he told me that. Um, and, and, and that's why I've handed the card to David Stern and he's going to go to the podium and red hour back is about to shit a solid gold brick because Brad Doherty's going to follow to his lap. But with the first pick, in the 1986 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select Dennis Rodman from Southeastern Oklahoma State. Uh, I mean, how could you not draft one of the 75 greatest players of all time? Defensively, it's going to make the Cavs even better. They were already a pretty decent defensive team at that time. Uh, you know, it is going to hurt their scoring, obviously, because I just took away Dennis Rodman from them and then later. Uh, we're presumably going to take away Ron Harper from them as well. And, you know, but, but they can figure it out. They'll figure it out. You know, there's, they, they, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just can't pass up on one of the, on potentially possibly 
one of the greatest defenders of all time. If I already know that this guy's going to be this good, I can't pass it up. Maybe I work with him. Maybe I get him, uh, you know, to, to be a better scorer. I don't know. It just, it, it just seems really hard to pass Dennis Rodman here. So Rodman of the Cavs at one. Are the Celtics uh, celebrating in the war room right now? or? Uh, well, first off, we, we both had Dennis Rodman <laughs> at the top, top of our boards. I, okay. I would I would have taken him number one as well. Okay. So we, yeah, we actually don't disagree there. All right. Uh, like you said, he is the only. I look. It, it's close between. It was honestly really close between he and my number two guy, but he was still the best player in my board. Um, uh, out of curiosity, do you know how the Cavs uh got the number one pick uh to begin with? Uh, no, but it looks like it bounced. Uh, around for uh, for a couple of different teams there. So uh, how did that happen? So, yeah, people look at this draft and just assume the Cavs were bad and they won the lottery. Uh, that is not true. They did not win the lottery. The Sixers uh, won the lottery. And the Sixers, uh, obviously still a strong playoff team in 1986. Uh, it wasn't their pick either. They had, uh, they have, they had owned the uh, Clippers pick from a trade uh, back in the late 70s where they traded uh, Joe Jellybean Bryant, Kobe's dad, uh, for the Clippers' 1986 first-round pick. And you would think, why, if the Sixers won the lottery with that pick, why would they trade it to the Cavs? Well, the Sixers at the time, I'm just going to be brief with this, uh, I, I think ownership was – tired of spending uh, money. I, it, it was still at that time where in the mid eighties where teams were doing better, but it was still, you didn't have unlimited pockets. So in the span of one day, the Sixers traded the number one pick, uh, which again, back then you could negotiate for whatever you wanted. So the number one pick uh, was generally getting paid, you know, for 1980s money. So they 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 traded uh, in one day the night the number one pick to the Cavs for Roy Henson, and before you laugh, Roy Henson was actually a, seen as a very good young prospect. He was in his early twenties, uh, averaging I think 18, 19 points a game. Really athletic. Uh, if you're ever lucky enough to see his Cavs highlights, he looks like a guy that you could deal for a top five pick, uh, even by today's standards. Did not work out at all. Uh, and then later, after they traded the number one pick, they traded Moses Malone to the Bullets for Jeff Ruland. Just, again, that was entirely salary-motivated uh, because no one in the right mind, even with Moses in decline, no one in the right mind thought that Jeff Ruland was going to be any replacement for for Moses Malone. It seems uh, very uh, very Bulls-like, you know, during yeah. the, the Jerry Krause, like, uh, we need to move on now. And it seems, you know, like it's dumb. Yeah, to look, you know. <laughs> yeah and when you, when you look back at it, I mean, the Sixers really could have made another run at a championship. It would have cost them uh, money, obviously. Their payroll would have skyrocketed. But, you know, they could have done it. They just chose to go the other way with it and go to a rebuild around Charles Barkley. Uh, all right. So the Celtics with their number two pick. So uh, this seems like an obvious pick. Uh we, we know the Celtics coming off the 86 championship uh, fueled, well, I should say sparked uh, in a lot of ways by the acquisition of Bill Walton, who gave them the one last uh, good year of his career. Uh, you know, he, Bill, we, we already know Bill Walton is not going to be available really ever again. He, he plays, you know, a few games here and there, but he, really 87 and 88, he was a non-factor. He, he retires. Uh, his, his feet just gave out on him. So you're thinking, hey, Brad Doherty, um, how could you pass on Brad Doherty? I'm going to pass on Brad Doherty. Uh, I am actually going to take uh, Drazen Petrovic uh, out ah, of Yugoslavia. You took my pick. Uh, Drazen Petrovic, uh, to me, is one of the greatest uh, what-if stories in NBA history. Uh, he was the best, the best player, at least – in my mind, to retire without making an all-star game, uh, which is kind of nitpicking because he died tragically uh, in his late 20s in a car accident in the offseason of 1993. 
but he was, they actually did name him all NBA that season. It's not like he was all potential. No, he was, he had already uh, begun showing his potential. He just got screwed out of the all-star game that year. Uh, one of the best guard prospects, I would say in, in the entire decade of the eighties, uh, not just an amazing shooter. Uh, he could play a little defense. Uh, he could pass the ball really well. We never really got to see that in the NBA because he played a lot of off ball playing the two, but you know, he, he had some great passing ability. I think today uh, he would be more of an on ball player, uh, a wonderful guy. Uh, extremely hard worker, uh, would fit right in with that Celtics culture. Uh, would it pay off? Would it get them a championship in, in 87 or 88? I don't know, but I'd be willing to take a gamble on it. I think Brad Doherty might help a little more immediately, but I just think Petrovich's uh, skill level, what he brought to the table, just way too much for me to pass up. I, uh, you know, I, I was really hoping that Drazen would, uh, to, would fall to three i mean because i looked at it like he would fit with that warriors team i thought he would fit better there than he would with the with the celtics you know my worry was that he was going to get overshadowed by McHale and bird and and um and everything that's going on over there dj and all and all those guys that were on the team so uh and this is like the greatest you know some people think the greatest team of all time uh you know i guess i i just don't know where he fits in there so but it's not a bad pick because you know he's going to be the future of the Celtics uh, once he once he gets going and and yeah like I I I wish people knew more about Petrovic because he was he was probably that first great uh, Euro player that really set the the world on fire and there is a thirty for thirty out there uh, called Once Brothers which. Um, is really very 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 good and and it's uh it's about the yugoslavian national team and uh vladi divox is in it i would watch that and you'll get to know a lot more about Drazen petrovic um but all right so now that <laughs> petrovic is off the board uh i'm the golden state warriors i'm a little deflated but it's going to be okay because uh, a guy fell to me because i expected you to take brad doherty i really did and I mentioned before that he only had an eight-year career, but it was a very productive eight-year career. So it, it's it's not at all a bad pick, and and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Brad Darty with the third pick. I think he fits in pretty well. I mean, you've got they were going to take Chris Washburn, or they did take Chris Washburn in real life. Um, you've got Joe Barry Carroll on on the uh, on the team. Joe Barry Carroll is um, kind of nearing the end of his his best years uh so and, and we're gonna we're gonna move him in like uh a year anyways to houston so i think that brad doherty is is gonna come in he's gonna fit really well hopefully we still get uh the run tmc guys together along with brad doherty that is a very very tough team to play i mean that is a tough out for any team in the league i would have loved to have seen that group of guys together that starting lineup whoo would have been very very tough to play yeah I, I sometimes i i wonder if uh brad doherty might be a hall of famer uh, if he didn't have uh declining health uh he was injured a lot especially in his later years uh retired very i think he retired before the age of 30 uh his passion was actually never basketball it was uh auto racing so I, I don't think you really needed to be convinced that much uh, to call it quits and to take his money and to move on to his passion in life. But I'll tell you this, uh, when he, when, when he was healthy and he was uh, right, uh, he, he was really, really, really good. Uh, I don't know if he would fit in as well today. He could shoot mid range a little bit, but he was uh, for the most part, a low post technician, uh, not one of the greatest defenders, uh, but just as, as a as a as a hub of an of an offense uh, from the center position, uh, he was one of the best of his era. Just an offensive machine. Just not not just an offensive machine, but he was efficient at it. I mean, he was really 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 good. Um, so for the Indiana Pacers, uh, who by the way the second worst record in the league in 1986, drop all the way to four. 
because again, uh, just like in 85, this was an equal opportunity draft. Uh, everybody that missed the playoffs had an equal chance of getting whatever pick and they, they just kept drawing. So you kind of landed where you landed, regardless of your record. So the, the Indiana Pacers, and, and I'm looking at this, this is my, this might be my favorite pick of the whole draft. If, uh, if you do what I think you're going to do, I think it's going to be my favorite pick too. Uh, because I know with the, the Indiana Pacers, I'm only a year away from drafting Reggie Miller, one of the sweetest shooting guards ever still today in this league. And what better player to pair him with than one of the sweetest shooting point guards of all time, uh, Mark Price out of Georgia Tech. You did uh, not do what th- I thought you were doing. Th- th- this, is, this is one of the I, – I, because I honestly, I, I, I want. I was thinking about drafting a center, but Rick Smith's down the road in a couple of years. I, I an all-star caliber player, uh, fit really well with Reggie Miller. I don't want to disrupt that if I have a better option, and I do with this case because I think Mark Price is objectively the fourth best, fourth or fifth best player in this draft. Uh, a second round pick in reality. Uh, the Cavs, by the way, I want to make this a, a note. The Cavs went into this draft without their own draft pick. Uh, they only had one pick going in. They wound up with Brad Doherty, uh, Mark Price, and Ron Harper in one draft. Uh, new GM uh, Wayne Embry uh, came in and just cleared house. And he had one of the best runs, I think, of any GM that I've ever seen, uh, just building a powerhouse contender from almost pretty much nothing uh so i want to i want to give him credit for that because the, the Cavs, the legacy of the Cavs is just all over like the best players from this draft so yes uh mark price uh goes to the pacers i know he's going to take a little while to develop but that's fine i know i've got reggie miller coming and then i'm just going to have you know the, the greatest three-point shooting team of the 90s i don't know if they'll win a championship together but they will be very fun to watch yeah, I just I really thought you were going to go a different way there. Um, but I guess the player I was thinking of is going to have to continue to move down the board um, because I'm not going to take him here either. Yeah. Uh, so I had that right. one. OK. Uh, all right. So the uh, the New York Knicks are up on the clock. They got Patrick Ewing last year. It was a game changer for them. Obviously, he's already paying off dividends. But they could use some uh, some guard help. They could use a guy who can score, a guy who's going to give you 10 years, 10 years of really good scoring, and then another, you know, six, seven years of, of being a great role player. Uh, I am going to select, with the fifth pick, Ron Harper uh, for the Knicks. I think Harper is, uh, I mean, a really great player. And, and again, 10 years of a guy who's going to get you – 20 points a game, 15 points a game, 18 points a game, very efficient guard uh, and, and, you know, decent defender. And a guy that, again, once he gets to the point where he's past his prime, can be a very great role player. You know, we saw what he could do on the Bulls late in his career. Uh, but before that, with the with the Cavs and the Clippers, Ron Harper was a great scorer. And I think Patrick Ewing is jumping for joy knowing that he's going to have a guy that is going to help him get points on the board and the Cavs. Um, this draft is just so much different for them at this point. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ron Harper. I, I know Pat Riley, we're a long way from having Pat Riley on the Knicks at this point, but I can't think of many other Pat Riley type players than Ron Harper. Uh, you know, wonderful two-way player uh, injuries kind of sapped his explosiveness after he left the Cavs. But even so, he was still a really effective player. Uh, kind of criminal that he this man never made an all-defensive team. Uh, by the way, I, I mentioned b- before with the last pick, um, the Pacers had the second-worst record despite having the fourth pick. Do you know who had the worst record in the NBA coming into this draft? The Phoenix Suns, maybe? It was the Knicks. Oh, the Knicks, okay. The, the Knicks, Um Got their comeuppance a year after the the Patrick Ewing um, frozen envelope uh, allegations. Uh, they they actually had the worst record in the league uh, that first year with Patrick Ewing, and they dropped to fifth in the in the lottery. Um, 
so yeah so the the phoenix suns and i i am going to uh there, there's a certain player that we both passed on that i'm i'm going to take at this point because the suns at this point are a train wreck they are at the low point probably in the history of their franchise uh the, the the aforementioned uh uh cocaine is just tearing up their locker room uh they they have their, some of their best players are, are aging like alvin adams uh they are they are larry nance their one great star is going to be pretty much trade bait uh in a year so they're 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 blowing it up they're they're going to go full rebuild and what better player to rebuild with than uh arvita sabonis now you're thinking well, Keith, our, our Vita Sabonis, we've already been over this several times. Uh, he's not going to be available uh, for the Suns until the mid-90s. Uh, that's great. Uh, can you tell me who the starting center was uh, for the Phoenix Suns in the mid-90s? Sure can't. Yeah, exactly, because uh, they really didn't have one. It was a... Uh, a Wayman Tisdale, maybe? Well, they had Mark West at at one point, uh, and it was Oliver Miller. Then uh, No, Wayman Tisdale was more of a 3-4 uh, type. Um, uh, Joe Klein, uh, the legendary Joe Klein was up there. Really, the, the thing that kept the Phoenix Suns from winning a championship in the in the in the nineties was they they didn't have a center. And yeah, ninety five is is a little bit later in in the Suns' run. That I think they only had one or two good years left at that point. But I will happily take that chance. Uh, I will take Arvita Sabonis and pair him with Charles Barkley. Uh, in eight or nine years and we'll see how it works out uh i have a feeling that those two could work very well together uh again you have come in here and <laughs> swooped in and stole the pick from me that i was hoping to make i thought i thought that he would uh he would work in in dallas considering um you know the the centers here in dallas are, are mm-hmm. at this point bill wennington uh Uwe blab Uwe blab uh that's it oh james donaldson i mean it's not it's not great uh and it's going to continue to be not great because there are some centers that are left on the board here um you know but but i don't think that they fit here i think that the best thing i can do for the dallas mavericks at this time is at least help them uh you know, kind of fix up that that front court a little bit. Uh, we they were going to select Roy Tarpley this year. I think the better selection for them would be to pick the guy who actually wound up being the rookie of the year this year, Chuck Person. Um, Chuck Person is another guy that, like, you know, for for let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Another ten years is another thing. Is another guy who could get you eighteen to twenty points a game especially in those early Indiana days, he was, he was a very good player. You could see why he was the rookie of the year. Um, and, you know, obviously later on it, it, it he, he started to have some back issues uh, and that really kind of took a toll on his career, but you're getting some really good years up front. Pairing him with Mark Aguirre could be pretty fun. Um, maybe even later on the, down the line, you know, Chuck can go to the, the to, to Don Nelson and say, Hey, get my little brother too, because, I, I liked Wesley Person's game as well. Uh so yeah, so maybe I don't know. Uh we'll see where that goes. But I think I think Chuck Person and, and Mark Aguirre is a fun, a fun pairing. Um so I'm gonna go with that. Chuck Person to the Mavericks. So yeah, this was a, a, another pick that th- this was actually where Cleveland should have drafted had they not traded their pick uh six years prior. Um this to me is actually how they got this pick. This might have been the worst trade I've ever seen, even in hindsight. Uh, in 1980, the, the Cavs traded their 83 and 86 first round picks to Dallas for uh, Richard Washington and Jerome Whitehead. Um, if this is the first time, if you're listening to this, if this is the first time that you're hearing those two names, uh, well, you're probably not alone. <laughs> uh Richard Washington uh I believe one of these yeah Richard Washington I believe was cut by the Cavs I think a month or two weeks after they traded for him 
And Jerome Whitehead was a career role player that didn't last too much. I think he lasted a couple of years, got hurt, and he was retired. This was just an amazing, just this trade would get voided for the NBA for basketball reasons if it happened today. <laughs> just, just, and, and I don't, it, it's crazy. Um, so not, not only did the, the Mavericks get a, the seventh pick in this draft, but they got their, the, Cavs first pick in the in the 83 draft which wound up being Derek Harper uh so that you know credit to the Cavs for help building a contender in Dallas uh, for a short while okay so up next are the Cavs uh at number eight and you just you you ask yourself you know Keith just said that the Cavs traded their pick to Dallas well they did uh so what happened was the Cavs uh were owned by a guy named Ted Stipen and he had traded so many of his draft picks in the future that any team looking to buy them and run them correctly uh, or any ownership group looking to buy them and run them correctly insisted on getting their draft picks back. Uh, so uh, Gordon Gunn, who ultimately bought the Cavs um, in the mid 80s, uh, he agreed to buy the Cavs on the condition that the NBA give them some draft picks back. So uh, this was uh, a compensatory pick. Uh, in exchange for uh, Gordon Gunn buying the Cavaliers, this eighth pick. This was a pick that wasn't required from uh, from anywhere. The, the NBA just invented it out of thin air and gave it to them. If you, if you look at this draft, there's only 23 teams in the league, but there's 24 picks. That's why. So uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers... And I see a true. I thought I, I thought Mark Price on the on the on the uh, Pacers was a tremendous fit. I think I've got another tremendous fit coming. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers select Jeff Hornacek. Oh, yeah. uh, new coach Lenny. New coach Lenny Wilkins is going going to come in, and let me tell you this: Lenny Wilkins loved two things. He loved great post players, and he loved great shooting guards. And that was those were the two things that he needed for his system. And there is no better shooter. This, this is the first really great three-point shooting draft that we've ever had. Uh, Jeff Hornacek might have been the best overall shooter. Uh, just just an amazing uh, two-guard for, you know, he came in with a with a severely uh, busted leg. He was 6'4", uh, couldn't dunk a basketball. That's how bad his, his leg was. If you see him play at any point in his career, he's always wearing a big knee brace. Uh, but he was such a, a talented player, such a great shooter. Uh, I He lasted in the NBA for 15 seasons with a bad leg. Uh, that's how good he was. And he was a double-figure scorer almost all the time. Uh, so good that he was traded for – he was seen as, as a primary trade piece for Charles Barkley uh, when the Sixers traded him to, to Phoenix. So uh, Jeff Hornacek, I actually did a, a video on him. Uh, if you look for it under my Twitter account, uh very underrated player all right <clears throat> i am in a difficult situation as the chicago bulls right now um and i feel like there's there are better players available but they're in a position that i don't need to fill i've got michael jordan mm -hmm. and uh i've got charles oakley i've got i've got some things here i don't I don't need to fill certain positions um, that are available. I, I could take John Sally, but I don't need him. I've got Charles Oakley. I've, you know, I could take, uh, like I said, Del Curry, but I've got Michael Jordan. So um, I think that, and this sort of throws my draft out of whack a little bit, but I think, I think a good point guard. Now, no disrespect to John Paxson. He, you know, he's a, he was a great role player and eventually would hit, you know, a tremendous uh, shot later on in his career to help the Bulls win the finals. Um, but he, he was, he was not a very good player. So I think that you could replace him with another guy who is going to eventually set the single game uh, NBA record for the most assists in an entire game. I think that Michigan state's, uh, Scott Skiles is the way to go for the Chicago Bulls. I think he's going to help uh, facilitate that offense. He's going to help uh, Michael Jordan get the ball more often, which is what you need. 
but he's also a guy who could get you some buckets. You know, he, he could score every now and again, especially when he got to Orlando. And obviously there are reasons why he scored more because they needed to feature him more considering there was basically nobody on that team other than uh, Reggie Theus uh, in the beginning, but yeah, Scott Skiles to the Chicago Bulls. I think it's a good fit. It's, it's not the best player available, but, um, but I think it works for the fit. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of on two minds on this. I, I think, yes, the Bulls, Skiles is objectively better than John Paxson, at least the John Paxson that there was in the, in the mid eighties. Uh, but I, I do kind of wonder about the fit because Skiles was an okay outside shooter and not great. I thought you were going to go a different way with this pick and I'm glad you didn't because I really wanted this player. Uh, so the Spurs at number 10 and the Spurs are a disaster. Uh, there's no two ways about it. No matter who I pick here, they're going to be terrible for years. And the reason for that is they will win the lottery a year from now. I know that. And they're going to take David Robinson, one of the most celebrated prospects of the decade. And because of his naval commitment, he's not going to be able to help them at all for another two years. So the, the Spurs are going to be bad for the rest of this decade. I know that. So my question is, how do I build around David Robinson, who I know I'm going to get? And to me, there's one very clear choice, and that's Del Curry. Uh, the the Spurs, until they got Tim Duncan, were very very good with David Robinson. They were they were contenders uh, every single season. They had him healthy, uh, but they couldn't really get over the hump. And I think a big reason for that is they didn't have enough outside shooting. Uh, they they just they they tried they tried a lot of different things and they just never worked out. So what better way than to get one of the best. Uh, shooting role players of his generation uh the father of the greatest actual shooter of all time uh del curry uh he will go to the spurs and i think believe it or not i think del curry might actually be the difference uh in them winning a championship possibly he was that good of an outside shooter yeah yeah that's it's clearly hereditary as well because uh obviously steph curry is the greatest shooter of our uh, of all time I think, uh, and I think most people think, and then Seth is actually pretty good too. And, and, uh, you know, it's nice that Seth Curry is getting some love these days. Uh, especially, you know, when you have such a, 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 a looming shadow, like your brother over you, but anyways, anyhow, uh, the Detroit Pistons are up on the clock and I am left with the, I guess, unenviable, uh, a task of figuring out who to fit in with this team. I don't think it's unenviable. I'm ready to do what I'm about to do. Uh, the team originally selects John Spider Sally, a Pistons legend. I am not going to do that today. Hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, is that shocking to you? Do you did you? Would you? No, no. I, 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 you would go either way with this uh, because I think he is clearly like one of the best players that are, is left on the board. But you could argue that maybe you could rock the boat with a slightly better player. I'm just curious to see where you go on this. All right. Well, I'm going to rock the boat with a slightly better player. Well, actually, I think of a, a fully, a full on better player. Uh, so I'm I'm looking at my team right now. Um, you know, I'm going to select John Sally to be my center. Or to be a backup center, you know he's gonna he's gonna play a little more power forward uh, for us going forward. I, I would guess, uh, and I know that in '88 I'm gonna I'm gonna trade for James Edwards uh, mm -hmm. before the deadline, so I, I'm gonna be in the market for a center at some point. And 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 I think why would I do that when there's a great great player just sitting there, uh, a, a a guy who's gonna win the most improved player of the year award in 1988. He's going to, he's going to be in two all-star games in 89 mm -hmm. and 1991. And I honestly think he like, like we felt about Mario Ellie in the 85 draft. I think this guy fits in perfectly with the bad boys. I am selecting Kevin Duckworth with this pick because uh, duck is, I, I mean, one of, you know, one of the unsung uh, centers of the, of the late eighties and early nineties, a guy that was getting 15 to 18 points a game. Uh, was great, great defender, good, you know, decent rebounder, uh, 
you know, obviously he wasn't like a one of the best centers in the world or anything like that, but he was a guy that could get to a couple all-star games and and certainly would help a team. Um, Bill Lambeer is going to retire shortly into the 90s. Maybe you get a couple more years with with Duckworth. I know he doesn't uh, he does wind up playing until yeah. 97. He probably shouldn't have, but yeah. um, but yes, Duckworth to the Pistons. I think it's a good fit. Uh, what do you think? So yeah, I, D- Duckworth is one of those guys uh, that if you look, uh, if you just look at a picture of Kevin Duckworth, it's easy for people that don't that weren't around back then to just point and laugh and say, "Hey, look at that that tall fat guy." You know, he couldn't. That's that's an example of guys that could never play today. Well, Kevin Duckworth, you know, seven foot, you know, two eighty, generously, he was probably over three hundred uh, for a while in his prime. Uh, great hands uh just if, if he got the ball on his spot uh pretty very good shooter from mid-range on in uh good with either hand in the post uh it, much like a poor man's version of Brad Doherty just an offensive machine uh if you got him the ball in the paint uh I would compare him maybe favorably to Zach Randolph maybe a taller version of Zach Randolph I like uh as you said he made two all-star games uh very uh, he's kind of overlooked because he played on those Blazers teams and everyone thinks of Porter and Drexler they're they're guards they're all-star guards but but Duckworth was like the third scorer on that team uh he he was a really 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 good uh efficient player and that team would not have worked without him so I'm I'm glad he gets his uh he gets his due here um out of curiosity do you know how the Pistons uh why the Pistons are picking 11th in this draft I don't so the the Pistons a couple of years uh, prior, how it worked in the NBA back then, we had free agency, but essentially they were all restricted free agents unless the team just outright waived them. So Terry Tyler, um, one of the best shot blockers in Pistons history, uh, uh, forward, he left uh, the Pistons because the King, the Sacramento Kings, were offering him a, a better deal. So what you did back then was you worked out a sign-and-trade, essentially, in every free agency uh, deal where players switch teams. And in this uh, case, the the compensation the Pistons got was a pick swap of their choice between 1986 and 1987. Uh, so they, they picked their first opportunity in uh, 86. So the Pistons actually, they, they, I think the Kings picked uh, at the spot where uh, the Pistons would have uh, drafted, I, I want to say 17, 18, something like that. But that's why the Pistons have an 11, uh, the 11th pick in this draft, despite being much better than, than that, uh, than their record, or well, than that their record would suggest. So now I have the uh, Washington Bullets. And this is going to be interesting because I, I know with the Bullets, we've already been over this, actually. Uh, I know I'm going to get Moses Malone, you know, tomorrow. Literally tomorrow. Uh, so I, I know I don't need a center. Uh, I, I, I know Moses is going to carry me through the next few years, at least, before I get tired of him. Uh, so the, my choices really are, I, I have, I know I have Jeff Malone. He's a, I'm, I'm set at the two. Uh, do I want a guard or do I want uh, a shot blocker next to Moses Malone? And I am going to take the shot blocker. I am going to take John Sally out of Georgia tech. Uh, I like it. But Moses at this point in his career, uh, still a very good rebounder still could put some points on the board. Uh, his defensive, his lateral quickness was basically gone at this point. He could not defend at all. He very much needed a a rim protector uh, next to him to cover for him. And John Sally, really the best shot blocker in this entire draft. Uh, the Pistons were not wrong when they picked him 11th. I'll put it that way. Uh, so I, I actually think uh, he is going to impact uh, my fortunes tremendously uh, from here on out, so at least for the next few years. So it's going to be John Sally to the Washington Bullets. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good pick. Um yeah, I, I like I like the fit. Um but all right, now I am up the New Jersey Nets. Um 
Keith, this is a really bad basketball team. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the uh, the the roster right now, and it is. I mean, it's bad. It's really bad. Orlando Woolridge, I guess, is the best player on this team. Uh, Daryl Dawkins is on this team, but it's not really Daryl Dawkins anymore. I mean, um, I don't know. I just can't find. I can't find a a good player on this team. Uh, so, but but I could tell you, even though. We've got, um, just counting them here. We got four centers on this team. Uh, I I still want to grab a, a a big guy. You know, um, the team was going to take Buck Williams this year, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I am, uh, and I'm not. Uh, no, no, Buck Williams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was drafted uh the year before. Yeah, he was actually yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that's my fault. Uh, we're gonna take Dwayne Washington this year, uh, but but I'm not gonna do that in this draft. Uh, I am gonna I'm gonna take a risk. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there, and I'm gonna hope that I that I don't get hurt. You know, we talked earlier about uh, substance abuse being a kind of a, a problem in the league, and um, and this is a the guy I'm gonna select is gonna have that issue, and I'm gonna hope that maybe here in New Jersey we could build a, a good support system around him and, and help him uh, avoid this. Uh, I'm going to take Roy Tarpley who was originally uh, selected um, uh, the, with seventh pick in this draft by the Mavericks and, and had a really good, really good few years. Like it was a guy, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, in, in 1990, he was 16 points and 13 rebounds a game, uh, like a great player. And, but obviously he had some substance abuse issues, got suspended by the league, wound up coming back in 95 for one year, then had substance abuse issues again and got suspended by the league. And uh, it, it, it's, you know, you know, it was, it was not a great career, but I'm hoping in New Jersey, maybe we could fix that, but I'm guessing since it's New Jersey that we're not going to fix that, but at least we're going to get three or four years, maybe five uh, of, uh, of good production and maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe we get lucky. I think Roy Tarpley is probably the best available player at this point. Oh, Roy Tarpley. I mean, in terms of talent, he's been the best available player for a while now. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, his career was very much derailed uh, by drugs. Uh, but, you know, in, in the time that he had uh, in his prime before his career went uh, downhill, uh, he nearly got the Mavericks to the finals. Uh, he was that good. Uh, he was that missing big man that the the Mavericks we we talk every redraft that the Mavericks need a center. You know he was that center for them for a little while, and as and as soon as uh, he had to leave the team, the Mavericks just fell apart. That's how crucial he was to them. All right, so I've got the Blazers at fourteen, and at this point I'm looking for depth. I I've got Jerome Kersey, I've got Porter, I've got Clyde Drexler. Uh, I don't have a center because I'm not going to get Kevin Duckworth, which kind of sucks, but uh, I'm, I'm set just about everywhere else. And I don't see another really must have center in this draft. So I'm hoping I can trade for one down the road. You can uh, get uh, Pen Penagoidus Falasalulis, uh, <laughs> a Greek guy. Um, uh, one thing I do need, though, is guard depth, because behind Porter and Drexler, the, the, the Blazers, they went through a few guys throughout the years. Uh, Petrovich, who they actually did take in this draft, uh, didn't work out because they didn't give him enough t time that he needed to develop. Uh, then they went to Danny Ainge down the road after that. I am going to nip that in the bud right now. I'm going to take Nate McMillan. Uh, wow. Nate McMillan, uh, fantastic two-way guard. Um, could shoot a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, was known for his defense and his playmaking. Uh, very productive, uh, known as a Mr. Sonic to people in Seattle because he spent his whole career there. And then he wound up being a coach for a while. Uh, but he will not be Mr. Sonic in this new uh, future that we're building. He's going to be Mr. Blazer. Uh, so it, I I think this, you know, down the in the in a few years, he could give them a, a three guard uh, rotation maybe to rival uh, the one in Detroit uh, that in the Pistons team that they're going to meet in the finals uh, three, uh, four years down the road. Uh, I, I think it would be 
real fun to see what a rotation of Nate McMillan, uh, Terry Porter, Clyde Drexler would do. I still think Detroit's is better, but I think it would be more of a fair fight. I'm really surprised. I thought you would, I, I don't know. I thought you would take Johnny Newman here. Uh, I'm surprised that Newman didn't get selected at all. He had a, Pretty decent career. Played for a long time. Played till 2002. Yeah, yeah, good athlete. I just, I, I never found the right fit with him. And even with the Blazers, you have Jerome Kersey, you have Clyde Drexler. Do you, do you really need another wing who specializes in getting up and down the floor? I He's kind of redundant with what they had. I, I, I considered him, but I, I just thought that there was a gaping hole uh, behind Porter and Drexler. And Nate McMillan could play both the one and the two. I thought he was just a better, a little bit better fit. All right. Well, there you go. That is the 1986 NBA draft. A couple of guys left on the board. Johnny Dawkins, Johnny Newman, Buck Johnson, a guy I used to uh, uh, be familiar with. Uh, you know, uh, there's some, there's some players left over here, but yeah, Nate McMillan going Going into the last lottery pick. I'm I'm really surprised by that. But I guess I get it, you know. Um you know, longevity, good, good player for a while, defensively, decent guy. Um, all right. So that's it. That's the 1986 NBA draft. Do you have any regrets, Keith? Are you happy with your your draft haul? Uh I actually really like the fits that I have, especially with the Pacers getting Mark Price and the uh, Cavs getting Jeff Hornacek. I, I think I greatly improved the futures of a lot of teams. Even with Del Curry, you know, be he won't be a factor until four or five years down the road. But I think you put him on a team with David Robinson. I, I think you're I think you're really cooking there. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting move there. I like that one. I I, I really like the Kevin Duckworth to the Pistons. Yeah, that's an, a great fit. I'm, I'm really proud of myself for that one. And the easy route could have been to just take John Sally and and look, Pistons fans, don't be mad at me. Don't at me on Twitter. Don't like I love John Sally, but but this is a redraft, and I have to take the best player available. And Ken, Kevin Duckworth was the best player for this team, so um, don't hate me. Uh, anyways, so coming up next week, we got another big show. We're heading back to the Bad Boys era, and we are going to be covering a, a, one of the you know, best shooters of the eighties. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, a guy named after a household appliance, Vinny, the microwave Johnson, uh, is going to be our next topic. There's a lot of meat on the bone there. Um, you know, there, there's some, there's some Spurs stuff. There's some early Sonic stuff we could talk about, but, but that Pistons run, um, there's going to be a lot of things to talk about there specifically, his big uh, shot against the Blazers um, in the 1990 finals. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to this episode for sure. Um, and then, you know, following that, it's a really big one. The 1987 NBA draft is going to be, I can't wait for it because uh, David yeah. Robinson, Scotty Pippen, Reggie Miller, uh, KJ, uh, Horace Grant, Reggie Lewis, Mark Jackson. There's a lot of, um, a lot of Sarunas, Marshallonis. There's a lot of good guys yeah. to talk about in that draft. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, yeah. Uh, again, um, go to our Twitter people. Uh, tell us who you want to hear about. We would love to take suggestions. We would love to, uh, to, to talk about some of the stuff you guys want us to talk about. We are a wealth of knowledge, especially Keith. I don't know where he puts it in his brain but there's it's in there it's locked in the vault he's got all of it um so yeah uh keith tell them where they can find you on social media uh my name is uh keith black trudeau uh you can find me on twitter at uh charlatan 28 uh i generally do uh nba history related uh videos uh, during the season, I'll usually do something uh, Pistons related. In the off season, it's really dealer's choice; anything goes. Uh, over the weekend, I did a pretty nice uh, Jerry Stackhouse uh, highlight video. Uh, it it seemed to be well received. Uh, but generally, I'm I'm active on Twitter, you know, at at least a little bit seven days a week. If uh, 
anyone wants to ask me something NBA history related, uh, not just Pistons, the, the, the entirety of the NBA always fascinates me. So if, if there's a good question, I'm, I'm always happy to answer it. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, POD underscore Peyton, uh, writing about the Lions. Big, big week next week. Uh, hard knocks on Tuesday. I will have uh, some uh, article, some pre-article uh, to uh, discuss what the best things, you know, to to uh, expect on the, uh, on the first episode or best things to look for on that first episode. And then I will also have some uh, uh, post-episode reactions going up that night as well. And then also on Friday, the first preseason game of the year, Lions and Falcons, definitely looking forward to that. I also have some uh, reactions, uh, my usual what just happened column right after the game. So definitely looking forward to that. Give us a, give us a follow on all the things, uh, bad boys at beyond on Twitter, uh, bad boys beyond on Twitter. Uh, also, you know, like subscribe, rate review, all that stuff on all your favorite podcasting apps. And we will see you next week with Vinny Johnson.